You're listening to another hope-filled podcast from Life. For more information about our church, visit lifenz.org. Well, good morning. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Thank you for uh, making me feel so much at home over this weekend too, and uh, getting to know you and also just honoring God's Word, you know, being open and, uh, and able to receive it. God's Word is living and active, we're told, right, Hebrews? And uh, the key is that we've got to see God's Word come alive and active in us. And this morning, what I want to do, I want to share a message with you which I hope will bring both faith and understanding. Uh, I want to talk to you about the journey of faith. But I want to look at one particular element on the journey of faith. There's so many things we could talk about, about faith being a journey, you know. We could talk about our destination. We could talk about what to take with us, what to leave behind. But I want to talk to you about interruptions. Interruptions on the journey of faith. Because they happen. And we've got to learn how to respond when certain interruptions happen. And so what we're going to do this morning is I want to actually hitchhike on someone else's journey. How many people here remember the thumb? 70s, 80s, 90s. When I was a student, this was worth probably $10,000 worth of not buying a car. This hitchhiking thumb got me all over, backwards and forwards, to work, back to school, all those sort of things. I want to hitchhike on a person's journey this morning. And I want to actually say from the outset that sincerely, this is my prayer, that no one in this room will ever have to face this particular man's journey. But we can learn from it. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, we're introduced to a man by the name of Jairus. And I want to share with you not only his journey of faith, but I want to share with you the interruptions that happened on his journey of faith. And in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, verse 21, we read these words. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him whilst he was by the lake. And then one of the synagogue leaders by the name of Jairus came and when he saw Jesus fell at his feet, he pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. And verse 24 says, so Jesus went with him. You can see why I said I pray this will never ever be the particular experience or journey of anyone in this room. This is the most heartbreaking journey any man, any woman, any parent would ever have to take. We're told that this man, his name is Jairus, and he has a little girl at home who's not just sick, but she's actually dying. Later in the verse, and also in the Gospel of Luke, we're told particularly that she's 12 years of age. She's at home dying, and Jairus has to make the decision of his life. He has to make a decision that when his daughter needs his presence more than anything else, to be with her in that time where she is sick and dying and hurting, he has to prize himself from her to go on a journey, firstly, to even try and find this man called Jesus. And then secondly, believe maybe just this man may be able to come and do something that his daughter desperately needs. There's nowhere in Scripture that's recorded that Jairus had ever met Jesus. There's nowhere that tells us that Jairus had actually witnessed Jesus perform a miracle. All we're told is the fact that Jairus had heard of him. See, faith is exactly that. 
And the thing about Jairus is we're also told that he is a synagogue leader, a leader in a religious community. So he had heard rumors. He'd heard rumors from some people that there was a man who somehow has a power to touch sick people and make them whole. He'd never seen it. He'd only heard of it. But the world he was in, he heard just as many other voices who were saying, no, this man Jesus is a sham. He's a fake. He's, he's of the devil. He's not a real Messiah. And so he's got these two voices. And I want you to know, on a journey of faith, there will always be two voices. Always two voices that you will hear. The one who says, yes, it can be done. And the other says, no, you're wasting your time. And so we're told that this man Jairus has to literally prize himself from his daughter's presence when she needs her daddy the most to leave on a journey that geographically we see from its, its wording of being by the Lake of Galilee is a number of hours walk just on the premise that maybe, maybe he can find Jesus and maybe Jesus will come. And if he does, maybe Jesus can stop her dying. We come into that verse 21 and we find that Jesus is present with a crowd of people. And Jairus comes running into the midst of this crowd and throws himself at the feet of Jesus and pleads with him, my daughter is sick, my daughter is dying, would you please come and touch her that she would be healed? The Bible tells us that it simply says, so Jesus went with him. There's nowhere there that it's recorded that Jesus assured him that things would be okay. There's nowhere there that Jesus said, yes, she will not die. I will heal her. It simply says Jesus went with him. Can I suggest to you it's the most important thing about a journey of faith, that Jesus goes with you? You'd be amazed how many people travel journeys of faith before they even think it's an idea to invite Jesus along. Because the reality is we're all on journeys of faith. There are people in this room, you're believed, believing for your loved ones to give their life to Christ. It's a journey of faith. There's people in this room, you're going through challenges financially, situations with your business, with work, vocation, students, having to believe that three years, four years, five years of study will produce the fruitfulness of you even getting a role in that job. You know, I, I work with friends who are working in places in Europe at the moment, like Spain, where there's 68% youth and young adult unemployment. And the average time for a graduate from university to find viable work is now stretched out in estimates to be 10 plus years. And you've got students who are having to just believe maybe what I've given myself to. Maybe, maybe there's a job. We're, we're all on journeys of faith. There's some people who are literally on similar journeys to what I've described, where, where, where there's been terminal um, definitions or diagnosis on their conditions of health. There's, there's people facing all these different situations, people who have been in relational difficulty or people who are actually still believing to even find a spouse. It's a journey of faith. And it tells us that Jesus went with him. So when Christ is with you on a journey of faith, you have this assurance of his presence but I want to keep reading to you. And I want to show you what happens on this man's journey of faith. Verse 24. So Jesus went with him. And a large crowd followed and pressed around him. Verse 25. And a woman was there who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. She'd spent all that she had, but instead of getting better, she grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his cloak, the hem of his garment. 
because she thought if I can just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, notice that, verse 29, immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body she was free from her suffering. And at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. Some translations say and power had left him. And he says to the crowd and turning to them, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding around you? His disciples answered, and yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking to see who'd done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Be free from your suffering. Wow, I love this story. I love the story of the woman with the issue of blood, pressing through the crowd, touching the hem of his garment. I love the fact of her healing. But I've got a question this morning. Whose journey is it? Whose journey is it? I thought this is Jairus' journey. I thought we were reading about Jairus' journey of faith. And now, all of a sudden, it's like this woman comes in and there's this interruption on the journey of faith. And what's really interesting about this story is we all love preaching on the woman with the issue of faith and how Jesus healed her and how she touched his garment. But I want to ask the question, where was Jairus when it was happening? And what was happening to Jairus as he's looking at probably his equivalent of a watch and going, what the heck is going on? I don't understand. You see, it's interesting that we're told the little girl at home who's dying is 12 years of age. And then we're told that this woman is healed of a condition she suffered with for 12 years. And I'm not going to downplay her miracle. And I'm not going to even downplay her need because it was a genuine need that Christ responded to. But I want to ask a question. The 12-year-old managed bleeding condition versus the 12-year-old girl seems an absolute mess up in the sense of priority because this woman's situation has been managed for 12 years. But here's a man who's left his daughter at home with literally hours left to live. And it seems now like Jesus has got totally engaged and totally involved in someone else's situation. And Jairus is like, why am I overlooked? And don't tell me this has never happened to you. So my question is, how do you respond when it seems like Jesus gets so busy answering the prayers of everyone else but you? And how do we respond when God seems to be busy answering the situations of others that you may perceive are actually of less value or importance to you? Come on, it happens. And of course, it's a challenge because you see, how do you respond in church when pastor brings someone up to the platform to share of God's goodness and miracle and someone has got the very thing that you needed the most and you've been waiting for it for longer? How do you respond? You see, you've got to understand, the Bible is not Aesop's fables, it's not Hans Christian Andersen, it's not DreamWorks, it's not Steven Spielberg's, it's not fairy tales. These are the stories, the historical records of real people with real emotions. When a father leaves a daughter who's got hours to live to walk hours to find Jesus, just on the hope that maybe Jesus would come, and it's just a rumor, but maybe this man can even heal my beautiful little girl. 
and he's continually looking at his watch or aware of time or thinking the equivalent of how, how much time are we going to get there? We can take that away. And then all of a sudden, it's like everything stops, suspended animation. And now Jesus actually has his back to him. And not only has he healed this woman, but it's like Jesus then turns this into a small group teaching session. He's like, who touched me? And the disciples are like, what? Man, everyone touched you. This is like a praise mosh pit with the youth at life, you know, on a, on a Friday night or Saturday night. Everyone's banging into you, Jesus, a crowd following you, pressing against you. And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. I, I know someone touched me because I felt power leave me. Now listen to how Jairus would hear that. See, he's heard a rumor but that this man has power to touch people and heal. And then all of a sudden he hears these words. I felt power leave me. And I can imagine Jairus going, no, like a slow motion. I need that power. Jesus is like, I felt power leave me. And Jairus could be like, I, I needed that power. You see, the reason I say it feels at first read really messed up is because it's like, it's like Jesus is now engaged in a situation where this woman who has a genuine need, an embarrassing, um, shameful, painful condition, he needed to respond. But the reality is he could have said, look, I'll be back this way. I've got to get to this girl. Follow, walk with us, come. There's so many things he could have done. If there are medical people in this room, and I'm sure there are in a church this size, I got one word, triage, question mark. Where's the triage? Now you understand triage is a medical practice of creating a hierarchy of response to serious need. How do you distribute and how do you attend to need medically when there is not enough resource, i.e. example, car wreck, paramedics, two arrive. There's four victims in a car crash. There's only two of them. They can't be in two places at once. And so they have to quickly assess the situation and triage it and define who do we respond to first. And a trained paramedic will walk past a man who's on the ground screaming in agony, you know, with a compound fracture because someone else over here is unresponsive and unconscious. They have to make a decision. It's like Jesus turns triage upside down and goes, well, hang on, I'll deal with this. And here's a man crying out to desperately get Jesus into his situation. And now God is busy and active in the life of others. Like I said, don't tell me it never happens to you. So pastor will bring someone up to the platform and say, hey, come and share this testimony. And, you know, Joe Bloggs will get up there and he'll say, oh, you know, God is so good. I've been working for a company for 10 years and Suddenly, this other company bought it out, and there was this retrenchment, and I get this notice that I've been made redundant, and we'd only just bought another house, and we got this mortgage to pay, and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, how am I going to deal with this? And, and, and I pack my, my bag and everything into this little box, and I walk out to the car, and I get in my car, and I turn the key on, and my phone rings. And it's another company who've just heard what we've been made redundant. And I got offered another job, and I got a pay rise, and I got a bigger car, and the whole church goes, oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, yes, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, you know? And so we should. But down the back, someone's sitting there who's been redundant for six months, crying out in desperation, because actually now they're about to lose their house. And they're like, God, 
20 minutes. 20 minutes. I've been believing you. You know, we all believe for people to be saved. Great to hear that the fresh, even greater emphasis, because life is a soul-winning church. It's a soul-winning machine, but great to hear the even greater emphasis on winning souls. But you know, I've got a church filled with people who are, who are bringing people to Christ, but I've also got a church that's got people in it who have been believing for their loved ones, some of them for 20 or 30 years, to find faith. You know, interesting, I've got this beautiful lady in my church. Her name's Kim. I say she's a beautiful lady. She's in her probably late 30s. She's confined to a wheelchair with cerebral palsy and has been all her life. Without exception, at least twice a month on Sunday services, she'll wheel that wheelchair to the front at the end of the service for prayer, and she'll be sobbing and crying, sometimes literally filling the plastic tray on her wheelchair with her tears as she looks at me and says, Pastor Martin, please pray for me. She says, my mom and my dad are getting old and mom is sick and they don't have much longer and neither of them have given their life to Christ and I want to see my mom and dad in heaven and they blame God. They're angry at God for my condition. Interesting, she doesn't blame God. But she says, my mom and dad, they're angry at God and they won't give their life to Christ and pastor, please pray that they'll get saved. And this has been going on for year after year after year. And I'll pray with Kim and I'll hold her hand and I'll say, come on, your parents have still got life and breath and God will speak and God will bring them to Christ. And I pray with her and I pray with her and she sobs in a burden for her loved mom and dad. But every week at Harborside, people give their life to Christ. A couple of years ago, we had this incredible move of God in our local high school at Takapuna Grammar, where literally dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of kids got saved, from the bad boys, you know, drug dealers, to the first 15, to, you know, the nerds, the jocks, and everyone in between. Some of them are on our internships now, you know. But I remember two years ago, a platform, huge platform at our church, lined up with all these young teenagers getting baptized. It was so awesome. But what blessed me more was three months, six months later at our next baptisms, there were like lots of adults lined up as well as kids. But it was the parents of the teenagers who'd given their life to Christ. You'd have people like Lucy stand up there and say, oh, this is my mom, and she'd never been a believer, and she came to church, and I've only been a Christian six months, and mom came to church, and in the second Sunday gave her life to Jesus, and now she's getting baptized. And everyone's clapping, going, that's awesome. But I'm asking, what about Kim? What about Kim? What's she feeling? She could be sitting there going, God, their parents are half the age of mine. Their parents have got life ahead. It's like they get saved. You know, they sneeze and they get saved. And, you know, it's like I've been believing for my mom and dad. So she could be down the back there going, God, why are you active in the life of others? Or she could be saying, God, thank you for encouraging me to see that others have got what I'm about to get. You see, it all comes down to perspective. It's like I said to you, don't, don't tell me this stuff doesn't actually happen to you. And don't tell me you haven't been there. Well, you're trying to work out, God, why are you active in the life of others, doing for them the very thing I need the most? And actually, God, often when what they've just received is less important or less urgent than what I need. So how do you handle interruptions on the journey of faith? Because they happen. And they happen all the time. It gets worse. The Bible's real. Hey, Joe, where's Joe? Jesus is straight up, remember? 
tells you like it is, right? This is real stuff. Stuff gets worse. I want you to listen carefully what we're told. Jesus said, I felt power leave me. And then in verse 34, he says to this woman, probably with his back to Jairus, right? Daughter, your faith has healed you. Daughter, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace, free from suffering. Verse 35, while Jesus was still speaking, what was he speaking? Daughter, your faith has healed you. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Wow. So Jesus is active in the life of this woman with a condition that's been managed for 12 years. And Jairus made a decision to leave his daughter just on the hope that maybe he can get Jesus there just in time to make a difference. While Jesus was still speaking, people came from Jairus' house and said, don't bother this Jesus anymore. Your daughter is dead. You'll always hear two voices. Daughter, your faith has healed. Daughter, dead. Daughter, your faith is healed daughter is dead. There'll always be two voices. You see, Jairus is hearing what Jesus said. You notice Jesus didn't call this woman, woman. He didn't say to her, um, woman. He didn't call her Martha or Mary. He, He says, daughter, daughter. I want you to listen to the juxtaposition of this. As Jesus is speaking, daughter healed, faith, daughter, faith, healed, Jairus hears another voice, daughter dead, give up on this walk, give up on this journey. There's always two journeys, there's uh, always two voices on the journey. As that happens, Jesus turns to Jairus, hearing what they had said. And Jesus, verse 36 says, don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Now I'm about to show you why interruptions happen on the journey. This is not an interruption. This is actually a setup. This is actually God orchestrated setup. We think God is distracted. We think God is busy, active in the life of others. We can even interpret it as God is ignoring us. But no, actually what God was doing was setting Jairus up for what he would need for the second half of his journey, which was going to be twice as hard as the first. You see, this situation was not to distract God from Jairus' need. It was actually an opportunity for Jairus to receive what he'd require to get to his journey. You see, Jairus had never seen a miracle. Jairus had only heard of it. Jesus knew that before they'd even get halfway on this journey, this man, Jairus, was going to receive news that could cause him to stop the journey. But right in Jairus' very presence, Jairus sees Jesus touch a woman, do something that's impossible. Immediately, her bleeding stopped. Immediately, power healed. 
Immediately a daughter was healed. Immediately a daughter was set free. So Jairus firsthand is now seeing, but he still hears two voices. Daughter, faith is healed. Daughter, faith. Daughter, dead. Daughter, dead. Daughter, faith. You see, what Jesus allowed was a thing called the power of testimony to fuel the journey. Daniel, I need, I need these jumper leads, man. I need them now. I want to show you what actually happens here. And actually, Daniel, stay on up here, man. You're going you're gonna to work here. And I think, I'm going to bring Rita up here. Rita, I want you to come up. I want you to stand over on this side. I want you over on this side, Daniel. Rita, would you just come up here and stand over here, okay? Jairus, hold this one and this one only, thank you. Take it by the handles. Jairus had a negative situation. Now, if you know what these things are, and most of us would, especially those who have been teenagers, these are called starter leads, starter cables, jumper leads, right? It's, it's, like, it's like if Daniel had been down at the beach, he's been out surfing, he's doing something, he left the lights on in his car, comes back, turns the key on, there's no power. The thing's dead, right? He's like, oh, no, man, I'm done. And then all of a sudden, Rita comes along, and she drives in and pulls into this beach area and that, and she's in this big four-wheel drive, and the engine's thumping away. Got all the power, and he's like, this is the potential connector. Now, you know, if you're going to jumpstart a vehicle from a vehicle that has power, you've got to connect a cable, but not just one, two. You have to take the two batteries, you have to connect the negative to the negative, the positive to the positive, because in electrical engineering terminology, it creates a cycle where literally electrons and eons are pushed out by the positive, the negative flow out, and actually transfers power to that which is empty. So what happened in Jairus' situation is exactly this. You see, you have a negative. Oh my goodness, my daughter's sick, my daughter's dying. Man, I've been made bankrupt or I've lost my business. Oh, man, I've just got a report that I'm sick and the sickness could actually get worse and worse. You see, he's got a negative. And what happens a lot in life is there are others who can relate to that and say, yeah, yeah, I, I know what it is to have sickness or I know what it is to, to lose something. And, and we call this empathy. You see, it's like, yeah, man, I can relate to that. I, I know what it is. Yeah, yeah. Well, but there's no power. Right? There's no power. It's like, yeah, well, you know, I've had the sickness. It's like, yeah, I've had sickness too. And yeah, you know, and I, 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 I've lost my job. And it's, yeah, I lost my job too. It's, there's no transfer of power. But when God has done something in someone's life, and they've experienced the positive, the power of God, and then all of a sudden, this person starts to share that story, share that testimony. You start to witness it. When Jairus starts to look and sees a woman with a negative situation, but God touches her and this, this daughter of God gets healed in a moment, instantly, miraculously, supernaturally, something that only power in God could do. All of a sudden, it gives him the opportunity to take a hold of another person's testimony and actually suddenly a circuit of faith happens and then bam, this fires up. You see, what was happening with Jairus is simply this. Jairus' journey, God knew all along, was going to actually suffer an interruption that was greater than healing a woman. It was going to be an interruption of a stealing of faith where people would speak about a reality that was true, negative, but not actually God's intended outcome. They were going to say, it's over, stop your walk, leave Christ alone. And the gift of witnessing a miracle in the life of others, and at the same time as hearing the words daughter dead, to hear daughter 
healed. Suddenly gave Jairus this ability to believe. Can you put your hands together for these guys? Thank you. Do you realize that every time there's a testimony in church? So now let's go back to our stories. Oh my goodness, I've been redundant for six months and God gives a person a job in 24 minutes. You got two opportunities. How do you see that? Oh yeah, God, you got favorites. Oh yeah, God, that's your, yeah, I, I don't matter to you. I always knew it. I always knew it. it's my sin. I've done something wrong. They must be, no, no. Or do you go, oh wow. Oh, I can hook onto that. Oh God, you did. You see, now think about Kim, right? Every time somebody gets up and says, my mom gave her life to Christ. She's never been a believer, never believed in God, never walked into a church, but my mother gave her life. The whole purpose of that testimony coming forth in that small group in church or wherever is so that a Kim can take hold of that red lead and say, Jesus, I can believe for me too now. You see, God is setting you up. These interruptions on your journey, you see, you've got to understand no one's journey is the same. People's journeys have different lengths. People's journeys have different distances. When you travel to church or even came to camp, we all came to the same place. We're going to leave the same place. But some of you are going to take longer to get home. Because some of you live on the other side of Melbourne. Some of you live further than Tullamarine. Some are, but you see, we're still on a journey. We're all going to get home. The fact that someone gets home quickly and you're still on a longer journey doesn't mean you're not going to get there. The fact that God saves someone's parent in two weeks or two months or six months doesn't mean Kim's mum and dad are never going to get saved. But everyone who gets home first is a testimony to fuel you up. Let me just show you really quickly. I want to show you something really quickly. So what happens when all of a sudden he's got these two different voices? What happens when all of a sudden there's this opportunity to give up and to stop walking? Well, this is what we're told. Jesus says to Jairus, don't be afraid, only believe. Verse 37. And from that moment, he doesn't allow anyone except Peter, James, and John to come with him. Now, this is really interesting. You've got 12 disciples in a crowd. You've got a situation that now goes really bad where Jairus is like, oh my goodness, it's over. I, I should have stayed with my daughter. I, could, I should have got here quicker. I, I should have done this yesterday. He's, he's filled with all, this, all this, this grief and loss and confusion. Jesus grabs hold of him, focuses his attention and says, don't be afraid. Just believe. Believe what? Believe what you just saw. And then Jesus does this radical thing, Pastor Craig. He turns to the crowd including his disciples, and says, okay, stop. It's okay for you to have come this far, but now no more. Now we're actually going to leave some stuff behind because this journey's just got tougher. Peter, James, John, go and stand with Jairus. We're going to journey now. You got Tom, Thomas, no, Thomas, <laughs> doubting Thomas, no. <laughs> Stay. I love you. But believe me, he doesn't want you on the journey right now, right? <laughs> Thomas, I love you. It's okay. One day, nail things, touch. It's, it's, it's all going to be okay. You'll be, you'll be fine. Thomas, you stay. Matthew, Matthew, Matthew. Tax collector, analytical, strategic thinker. No, no. He, he doesn't need you talking to him about the percentage of infant mortality rates and all this sort of stuff. No, no. Listen, you, that sanctified strategic mind is going to get spirit-filled soon. It'll be good. Sit down. Stay. And he walks over, Peter, James, John, let's keep going. Why Peter, James, and John? It's simple. Throughout Scripture, Peter, James, and John are personified as the apostles of faith, hope, and love. Peter is the apostle of faith. Read all his writings. 
Peter steps out on the boat with no one else with. Peter does this. Peter does that. James, you read his writings. The one of hope, counted all joy when you go through various trials. James is the, is the one that always can see the positive. John is the apostle of love. The one who leans on the breast of Christ. The one who refers to himself as the, the disciple who Jesus loved. You see, this is now what's happened. They start walking. They've still got a journey to go. And, and Jairus is still confused. He's seen a power. He's seen a miracle. But power left him. But power could come. Can he change it? Can he raise the dead? What can happen? And all of a sudden, as he's walking, big Peter sticks his arm around him. He says, Jairus, man, come on. This is going to be awesome. Things are going to happen. And Jairus is real. He turns to Peter and says, Peter, you don't get it, man. She's dead. It's over. And Peter goes, so what? I've seen him raise dead people before. I've seen him do things. Let me tell you, man, there was a day when we were out on an ocean and a storm. And this dude, Jesus, he's like walking on the waves. And I'm like, can I do that? He's like, give it a go. And I'm like, out there. And, and all of a sudden, this guy, Jairus, who's only heard rumors, are like, are you kidding me? Like, no. And then, then James comes alongside, pushes Peter out of the way and says, come on, man, keep walking. You know, it's not over yet. It's not over yet. It's not over yet. It's not over yet. Come on, man. It's a trial. It's a, it's a challenge, but things can come. God can still bring good. And then all of a sudden, John comes up and pushes James out of the way and just stops and hugs. He's the emotionally intelligent one. And Jesus is like, can you like do that and walk? You know, he's like, and he looks at Jairus, he says, Jairus, you've got to get this, man. Jesus loves you. God loves you. Don't you think he loves your daughter as much as he loves the woman with the bleeding? He loves you, man. You've got to believe. Come on. And then all of a sudden, this journey, faith, hope, love, faith, hope, love, faith, hope, love. The Bible says they get to the room. Jesus pushes out all the mourners. And he only allows into the room where the girl is dead on the bed. Peter, James, John, faith, hope, and love, and mum and dad relationship, faith, hope, and love. And then he speaks into the situation, pronounces life, pronounces purpose, raises it from the dead, performs a miracle, brings purpose out of this. See, there are people in this room who have lost loved ones. You're saying, Martin, it's, it's, what does it mean for me? It's like, do you believe in resurrection? Do you believe in heaven? Do you believe God is good? Do you believe God will bring goodness out of us? Martin, I lost a relationship. I lost a marriage. What does it mean? Well, actually, what did you really lose? Well, I lost love. I lost hope. I lost purpose. I, I lost dignity. It's like, do you believe God can give you that back? You see, faith, hope, and love. Too many people allow interruptions on the journey to actually be segues or, 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 or parting moments, watershed moments where you just say, well, it's over. But do you realize every one of those things is actually God coming along with a set of jumper leads and saying, you know what? We're going to walk uphill this next half and there's going to be a headwind. So I'm going to let you see in the life of others what I promise I'll do for you. And then we're going to take with us faith, hope and love. I want you to stand with me this morning, church worship team. I want you to come back to the platform. So let me ask you a question. What's, what's your journey today? What are you on as journey? Is it a health thing? Is it a, a belief of God's purpose? Is it a relationship situation? Is it a financial need? Is it some circumstance that, that is trying to derail you? Our whole verse from day one has been in this cosmos, in this sum of all things in life. 
you're going to experience some challenges. But be of good cheer. Experience peace. What's peace? It's an assurance that passes understanding and transcends circumstance. Why? Because I'm with you. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from Life. If you have questions or want to contact someone about this message, visit lifenz.org.